This is a show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve Him and their neighbor, for whom the words of the Creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is a show for all those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. Well, here we are. <laughs> we, we never thought we were going to be here. Oh, my goodness. Tomorrow, we start Holy Week. And this is a very different Holy Week. It's one that I think that you and I might be able to identify a little bit with the first apostles. Here we are. And we are sequestered, right? We are um, like those disciples at after Christ was arrested. We're uh, kind of hidden away and maybe a little bit anxious. Probably not about the same things that they were, uh, but still... We're anxious. We're, we're looking at the days click by and wondering when life is going to get back to normal. And there was a piece this week on, um, on the Church Life Journal by Dr. Leonard DeLorenzo, who we've had on the show a couple of times. And he's writing to his students at the University of Notre Dame who are not going to be back this year. And we're finding that's the reality in a lot of places. Uh, they're not going to go back to to campus, and and that's especially hard for those who are seniors who are anticipating after this four or five or who knows how many for some years of work. They were going. They anticipated they were going to walk across a stage and with all the pomp and circumstance and receive a diploma, uh, and and go off into the great big wide world launched uh, by the acknowledgement of their accomplishment. Well, that's not going to happen. And so he's writing this letter to them saying, you know what? We keep waiting. And this was a difficult read, but I think a really beneficial one. I'm going to, I'm going to have it up on our social media at facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. He was saying, we keep waiting for life to return to normal. And we've talked about this a little bit on the show as well before. He said, what if life doesn't return to the normal that we remembered? What if it, it just doesn't happen? What if when we leave this, uh, this quarantine, our life, uh, not only individually, but societally is fundamentally changed. And, uh, these are kind these kinds of sea changes can be anxious and frightening and a little bit like Holy week. If you think about it, think about the apostles and them following Jesus to Jerusalem and then thinking everything's going to be fine. And all of a sudden, as we read the readings of Holy Week, pay attention, all of a the sudden they go from the heights of, of excitement and ecstasy with Palm Sunday, where Christ comes in and the crowds acclaim him. And they're thinking, yes, it's finally happening the crowds, everyone around is finally seeing Christ the way that we see him, and they recognize that he's the one who's going to deliver us from Roman oppression. And that's not the way it turns out at all. By Thursday, by Thursday night, everything is upended. Soon the crowds will turn against him, and they see this snowball happening of their worst fears coming true, and they see it kind of coming like a slow train uh, one thing after another, and like, it can't get worse than this, and then it does, and then it can't get worse than this, and then it does, and they watch with horror as the one who they have followed 
for three years, is arrested, beaten, scourged, and finally put to death in the most shameful way that they had at their disposal, crucifixion. And so here they are thinking, this is it. Life is never going to return to the way that it was. We can never have back what we had before. I I can identify with that as we're looking at the world around us. I can identify with everything on a human level, everything that we had come to expect from life is now being shaken. Nothing looks like it's going to return to normal, even as we eventually will be able to go outside and we'll be able to meet together again and we'll be able to to go and receive the sacraments together again. We'll be able to, many of us, still go to work. But our society will be different. This happened after the, the Spanish flu as well. Um, the social distancing that they started uh, when, when the uh, epidemic hit, when the pandemic hit, lingered for a very long time as people were anxious and nervous to gather in crowds again because they had seen what it had done. And I think that we'll see something very similar here. We're getting very used to uh, staying six feet apart from one another at the grocery store. It it may be that that's the case again. We're getting very used to staying closer to home, and it may continue that way for a while. But let's continue with this this line of thought with the apostles. They went through torture over Friday and over Saturday as they felt a deep loss and and deep grief over what had been lost. But then the resurrection happened and Christ made all things new. And what they thought was going to be the case in some way continued to be the case. Nothing would ever be the same again. Because now they're looking at things not in a material way. They're looking at things now in a spiritual way. The material way was never the same again because Christ was not in their midst, right? After those 40 days after the the resurrection, Christ ascended into heaven. And again, they were there without him. But Christ does not leave us as orphans. He gives us his Holy Spirit and he places us in community. And from that point on, nothing ever returned to normal again as they were empowered by the Holy Spirit to go out and to bring the life of Christ uh, and a sharing in the divine nature to the whole world. And here we are, these lo, these many years later, and the impact of of those 12 men uh, and, and numerous women as well, the impact of those disciples who followed Jesus and loved Jesus, the, the impact of those 120 that were gathered together in the upper room on Pentecost is now 2.1 billion people and many more in the world who are still impacted by the life of Christ. And so here we are, we, we have this Holy Week, this difficult uh, road that we're walking, and we're seeing that nothing is ever going to be the same. But 
instead of treating this as a fearful thing, let's begin to look at the things that are being shaken from us. The, the confidences that we have in our own financial ability, our own sustainability. You know, we want to be able to, uh, to provide for ourselves and not be a burden on society and all of these other things that I think are, are, are good and right thoughts to have. And at the same time, Christ is saying to us, consider the lilies of the field. They neither spin nor toil. But I tell you that even Solomon in all his array is not adorned as fine as they are. Consider the birds of the air. They don't work or toil. They don't store up grain. And yet they have what they need. And so you and I, we have to look at this situation and say, what are the things that are actually being taken from me? They are those things that I place my trust in. They are those things that I have confidence in and that that make me feel secure. And is there a way that in this time of shaking, I can turn my attention to Christ and I can say, God, I trust in you. I trust that you will sustain me and take care of my needs. And now even in the midst of my own instability, as everything is being shaken, how can I support those who are around me? How can I support my neighbor? How can I help them in this time of shaking? Because even as though we're, even though we're not allowed to get within, within six feet of one another, we can still support one another. We can do that in prayer. We can do that by reaching out and being in community and conversation. We can do that by recognizing that there are those who are deeply lonely and deeply frightened right now and to reach out to them and to provide encouragement in the ways that we are able. Perhaps you're healthy and you're able to make it out to the store. There are those who cannot. And so if you have relationship with them, why don't you see if you can go to the store for them? and go pick up the things that they need and drop it off at their front door so as to provide them continued health and safety and to have continued existence, right? What can we do for one another to support one another, to give one another strength in this difficult time? As we go through our days, it's very easy to kind of become very insular. We get in our uh, our quarantine space and we... Uh, drink our multiple cups of coffee and our multiple snacks throughout the day and uh, all of the, the memes that are out there talking about we've all become hobbits, right? We, we have breakfast and second breakfast and uh, lunch and eleven uh, uh, Zs and everything else, right? Um, we've become very closed in, not just by our walls, but within our own persons as well. And now is the time for us to go outside the walls of our own existence and to recognize that we are going to be taken care of. You know, whether it seems that way in the material sense or not, we can look at the lives of the disciples, those first disciples, and realize, uh, yeah, they, they were not protected even from death, many of them, and yet their lives were fundamentally altered and they would not have traded it for the world. They would not have traded their Holy Week experience for anything because of the joy that was set before them in the midst of that shaking. 
And I think the same is going to be true for us. The things that are, are shaken off of us right now are things that God never wanted us to have anyway. He never wanted us to have security in anything but himself. And so let us do that. Let us put all of our trust, all of our hope, all of our uh, confidence in Jesus Christ. And with these eyes of faith, with eyes that are attuned to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and all that that means for us, let us celebrate this Holy Week with anticipation and with joy. And I know that that's going to be a little bit difficult to to do as we're not able to to celebrate this in the ways that we are accustomed, right? We're not able to celebrate with our, our large masses and with everything else, but we are still able to feel the liturgical rhythms of the day. We're still able to, to follow along with the, the disciples through this Holy Week. And today we're going to explore how we can do that. What are the things that we can do that make this Holy Week uh, sacred, that set these days apart for, for the worship, the fitting worship of God and celebration of the resurrection? And to do that, we're joined now by Dr. Timothy O'Malley, who's the Director of Education at the McGrath Institute for Church Life, where he also serves as the Academic Director of the Notre Dame Center for Liturgy. He's got a new book out called Divine Blessing, Liturgical Formation in the RCIA, which we'll touch on just a little bit. Dr. O'Malley, thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks so much for having me. All of our home offices are um, are on full display. So if you hear children in the background, this is called The Joy of Life. That's right. Uh, so um, you, uh, obviously, this this pandemic has caused a, a great shift in the world all the way around. Like there's n- no sector of our lives that is untouched. Uh, you, of course, working in the, the, direct, uh, the Center for Liturgy have done quite a bit of work looking at what does Holy Week look like, not just for the parishes, and that's been kind of as working at a parish and, and being the, the live streaming person at the parish, the tech guy at the parish, uh, my life and my job has completely shifted to saying, how can we continue to provide as much as we can of litur- the liturgical rhythms to our people? And we're talking about things in terms of um, how are we going to communicate this in camera uh, when you can't otherwise do it? So for instance, most of the time we're thinking, okay, well, we have people with allergies, so we need to be sensitive to that when we do incense. And so we get a mild form of incense. And now we're like, okay, well, that mild form of incense doesn't smoke very well. No one's going to be in there. So we need to make sure that people see there's incense. So we're going to get the really thick, cloudy stuff so that it shows in camera because we're communicating as much as we can to the senses um, through just the sense of sight and sound as we've lost some of those other things. You've also been working some on the other end. Now that we who are not working in a parish are trying to connect with the liturgy from home, specifically these high holy liturgies of Holy Week, um, how do we do it in a way that is fitting uh, to the season and that communicates to ourselves and to our children that even in the midst of this difficulty, Easter is happening and Christ has risen? So how, yeah, do we, it, how do we go about that? It's an interesting question. In some ways, I think uh, one of the problems with it is that we're, we're all trying to figure this out. In essence, something we already should have figured out like way too late, right? There's a kind of reclamation, a reclaiming of 
like what actually we're talking about when we talk about the domestic church, right? We're talking about the manner in which the liturgical life of the church is lived, uh, not abstractly, not simply in parishes, although of course that's the heart of it that, that uh, comes forth from the parish to the world, but is lived within sort of domestic spheres. So, so it seems like right now, a lot of us are trying to think off the top of our heads, all right, well, how do I celebrate the liturgical seasons uh, specifically Holy Thursday, Good Friday, and Easter Sunday within the home. And of course, there are very easy, accessible resources to do this, right? There's um, what we have is the Liturgy of the Hours, uh, the, the church's prayer that's meant to sanctify every part of the day. This can be prayed within homes and in fact should. We have the Liturgy of the Word itself, right? There's a way for us to pray together the texts of of Holy Thursday and Good Friday, uh, the scriptural text, but also the prayer text of those liturgies. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's also a way to engage, of course, in these live streams. Uh, and I think one of the things we, we need to sort of dispose ourselves for is to actually, in some ways, give ourselves over to participation in these live streams, right? It's not watching something. It's not uh, our replacement for watching live basketball. Um, what it is, is it's an opportunity to participate in this. And so sometimes in the same way that we might close our eyes in church or we might kneel to a crucifix, it's really important, I think, in the home to do these exact same things, which is we're not just staring at a screen, staring at this uh, image in front of me, but we're actually engaging in this kind of iconic form of prayer. So as complicated as it is, it is an opportunity for us to think very clearly about how the home engages in prayer at all, engages in liturgy and worship, and, and how we can learn to do that, not just uh, when we're quarantined. Yeah. You, you, you bring up a point that um, these are things that really have been accessible to us the whole time, and we've kind of lost them. I think back to a parish I used to be a part of that had a, a large Polish population and they had the, this thing that they did around Easter where they bring the blessing of the Easter baskets and, and it's not uh, Easter baskets to collect the little eggs. They bring representative pieces of what their Easter feast is going to be uh, and they bring it to the church to get blessed by the priest. And then after the, the Easter vigil, they then go home and have this giant feast celebrating uh the, the resurrection, celebrating Easter. And so there are these cultural things and that are, uh, you talk about this a little bit in one of your pieces on the Church Life Journal, that are um, local and, and based on the neighborhood and based on the family that we kind of have lost because we've, maybe it's part of our society that tries to specialize everything. We've got our specialists for uh, medicine. We've got our specialists for law. We've got our specialists for this. We've got, and then we have the church uh, and they're the specialists for uh, the religious compartment of our life. And so we can relegate all of our religious celebration to either be done by the church or to be done by us when we are at the church. Uh, and so we've lost this integration of of having the faith be the thing that happens when we wake up in the morning around the breakfast table, around the dinner table, and in our homes. Yeah, it's certainly an invitation to ask ourselves how seriously we take the priesthood of the baptized mm -hmm. uh, in its very concrete form as lived within family life. Um, I've heard a lot of people say things like, well, mass is canceled, 
uh, there's no mass, which is just sort of just not true, right? Mass is happening, first of all, in parishes, that sacrifice is being offered, and that sacrifice of the Eucharist, which is the sacrifice of Christ and the sacrifice of the whole Christ, including the church, uh, that's offered back in love to the Father is happening whether we're sitting in front of a screen or not. It is the very identity of what it means to be a Catholic. Uh, we are offered on that altar every single day, every single moment of every single day where that Eucharist is taking place throughout the world. And, and in that sense, whether we're there or not, that's happening. And how much are we willing to let that offering infuse itself in us to recognize, well, we actually are made for this sacrifice. And then to take a, a lot of the, the very concrete sacrifices we're all being asked to make right now. Um, some of us are educating our children in the home for the first time. Some of us are having meetings regularly interrupted by children. Some of us are alone, right, apart from from everyone, right? For the sacrifice that we've engaged in for the good of the social order, we have, we're, st we're staying all by ourselves, right? And, and that is a sacrifice of praise that's being offered by the baptized for the sanctification of the world. We're talking today with Dr. Timothy O'Malley from the McGrath Institute for Church Life. Um, so one of the things that this does as well as we are uh, removed from being present uh, physically in the liturgy is it, maybe it's going to redefine for us what it means to be present in the liturgy. Uh, we tend to think of oh well I I went and I sat down I was there, or or maybe we think that um, our active participation has to do with the fact that we are a reader or an extraordinary minister of Holy Communion or that we had some part to play some role. Of, uh, of movement, of action, that without us, the Mass wouldn't happen. And here we are removed from that, and the Mass is happening. And so now we have to say, well, what does it mean for me then in my role as all this other stuff has been taken away? What does it mean for me to be actively participating and present in a liturgy that I am not, according to my mindset, actively present and participating in? Yeah, I mean, uh, there's sort of two dimensions to this. The first is that active participation, or uh, in Latin, actuoso participatio, was never ultimately just about a lot of frenetic movement. It was always about that attunement between our interior life, our, our entrance into Christ's paschal mystery, his life, death, and resurrection, um, with our bodies. We were supposed to actually attune everything we thought, our spiritual lives, to what we were doing, right? So when we kneel, uh, we're not just uh, bending the knee. This is not like, okay, at last I have something to do. I was just kind of sitting around doing nothing before. <laughs> uh, but that actually we're meant to attune like this. We now stand and, and kneel before the presence of God who's come before us. Now let me attune that desire to what I'm doing, my bodily action. That's our task. Um, and so we can do that no matter what. Uh, even right now, as we participate in the liturgies from afar, in every way, shape, or form that we participate in them uh, from afar, uh, we can do, of course, the Liturgy of the Hours and participate in that right here. We don't need to, to sort of watch that on a screen. Um, but then also, we can still use our bodies, right? There's no reason. Uh, my wife and Apple, with our kids, we tried watching Mass on the TV the first Sunday of the quarantine, and it was a disaster. The children, <laughs> couldn't pay attention, they hated it. 
So we've recreated a space in my office uh, where we currently are, right? And um, it, it, we watch the mass, but we have an, a sort of altar, a home altar set up with candles. Mm -hmm. We set up space for the children to use their bodies in prayer, something like a catechesis of the Good Shepherd atrium mm -hmm. in our living room so they can move back and forth. And we kneel and we do all the things that we would do at mass, we do them here. And that's a real participation, right? That's still, we still need to use our bodies to adore God because we are not uh, creatures of abstraction. We are embodied material creatures. And so we need to use those bodies and you can use your body within home. You don't have to presume or assume a, a passive state before what we're celebrating. As you're talking about this, I, I get the... Um... The, the the picture of uh, of music uh, of a piano and I'm my my uh, my degree and my study was all in in music, uh, but as you play notes, if you have those those dampers up, you lift the uh, the pedal dampers, and so the strings are just all open. As you play notes, those same notes, those same frequencies, higher up or lower down in the piano, begin to resonate and make noise as well, even though those are not the ones that were actively pressed. There's this resonant frequency that just uh, makes the thing all the more rich. And I think the same is true that if we can remove those dampers off of our spirits, uh, whatever it is that's distracting us, and open ourselves up to be resonated by the liturgy, then we can find some richness that otherwise wouldn't be just immediately available. And so a lot of that work of doing the mass is putting ourselves in a place where we can resonate, getting rid of uh, the distractions. Not so much, <laughs> this does not mean to send your children out of the room, right? <laughs> not that way. Uh, but to take those things that occupy our mind, uh, perhaps if your children are distracting you, what you do is let go of the, the need for them to sit there perfectly, right? And open yourself up, open that damper up so that the mass can resonate within you. Yeah, that's a very beautiful image. Um, I'm grateful for that image. Uh, it, it, it describes well what real participation is. Mm -hmm. Now, you you have written an entire book about this, and we talked about this on the show before. Uh, it's beautiful, and if you've not ever seen it, uh, it's called Bored Again Catholic, How the Mass Can Save Your Life. Uh, I highly encourage you to go pick that up. But so um, one of the things that you... Uh, that you talk about in there is this active participation and this sense of uh, allowing ourselves just to focus on the mass. I think I think it was maybe even in this book. Um, I might be getting it confused with another where you talk about uh, may the Lord accept the sac uh, uh, this uh, my sacrifice and yours. Right, that we put our own worries and thoughts and needs and we mentally place them on the altar as the sacrifice. Is that Yeah, that's, exa that's exactly right. And that is from that book. You can get your copy today at our Sunday visitor, osv.com. There's more to my conversation with Dr. Timothy O'Malley just after this break. So don't go anywhere. We're going to talk about what kinds of benefit we might actually receive from this quarantine. Right after this, join the ongoing conversation over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. We're doing a lot of live streaming during the quarantine. Come and be a part of that conversation over there. We'll be right back right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L., and we're talking today with Dr. Timothy O'Malley, the Director of Education at the McGrath Institute for Church Life, one of my favorite places in the world. If you're not aware of it, then you haven't been listening to this show very long. Uh, You can find out more about them at mcgrath.nd.edu, or take a little bit of time. This is just really well worth your time churchlifejournal.nd.edu. The the things that are posted there are always stretching. They're balanced. They're very clearly in line with church teaching. Uh, you're gonna you're not gonna have to put on your filter to say, well, do I really think this or no? No, this is all safe stuff, but it's gonna stretch your boundaries and your perspectives in ways that I think are are beneficial to us in our Christian life and help us see what this show is all about, exploring the implications of our faith. We say we believe this, but do we apply it in every instance of the implication of that belief? Uh, and we're we're just absolutely pleased to have you back on the show. Uh, Tim, thanks for being here. Oh, it's, it's a, it, it really is a gift. I'm sorry it's been so long. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. So now, speaking of Church Life Journal, uh, you recently put up a piece in response to another piece, and you all can read all about it there in, uh, in the Church Life Journal. The church's response is saying no to death's dominion. Uh, that's the name of the piece, and you go over and talk about um, we don't give in to fear, and yet the things that we're doing uh, of the suspension of the public celebration of Mass that we're experiencing, these are not necessarily driven by fear, although for some people internally it may be, but they are for the common good. And then you go in further in and you break out some of the things that are now opportunities because of this COVID virus, some things that are being made clear to us. And we'll we'll talk about them here in a second, but there is this um, phrase, as I was reading it, that came to mind from the great poet and perhaps prophet of the 20th century who is on, actually on his way into the Catholic Church upon his death, Rich Mullins. I don't know if you're familiar with him, mm-hmm. but he has this piece called Home, and there's a line in there, and he says, everything that could be shaken was shaken, and all that remains is all I ever really had. And so here we are we're experiencing right now the shaking and we're seeing the loss of things as some people are losing their retirement savings and other people are losing their job and everyone is losing their security and stability. Um, And these are the things that we have as a society placed our trust in. These are the things that are going to save us, right? And here, as we're losing them all, we are, we're forced to face the reality that these things that we thought would save us are weak saviors and we have the opportunity to despair or the opportunity to realize that Christ is truly the great savior. And it's better to trust uh, and to find refuge in the Lord and to put, than to put your trust in princes as Psalm 118 says. So talk a little bit about what you see as the fruit, the potential fruit of all of this shaking. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, um, you, you, you said so well, so much of, I think, what's happening, right? There really is a, a moment of returning to the essentials as we give up so much that we previously possessed and that we thought was essential for life. I'm really thinking about at least fruits that are potentially available 
I, I think the number one fruit, and, and, and we have to actually live out this fruit, right? It, it's not a necessary fruit, but that we're actually kind of united in a common task, a moment of very human solidarity in which I'm not an individual only concerned about my well-being, but I'm actually concerned about the flourishing of my neighbor, even if I'm not sure and I don't know my neighbor's name, right? I'm, I'm offering and entering into solidarity for the common good, right? There's an awareness of my contingency, of my need for the other, and the fact that the gift that I've been given, I need to offer back and give to the other. And so, you know, think about this right now, in a political world, right? Like th this is not the kind of conversation that occurs around the presidential election, right? <laughs> How are we persons that are or ordered towards the good of the other rather than ourselves? No candidate is talking about this uh, in some ways. You, you know, they might be talking about rights or they might be talking about um, people need X, Y, or Z, but they're not talking about the kind of cost of solidarity, the cost of sacrifice. And so I think there, there is that potential for a fruit. It's got to be cultivated by the church in our, in our neighborhoods afterwards. Um, another fruit I was just thinking about recently is just uh, the quality of life and the form of life, right? Uh, in some ways, we're experiencing this massive economic crash right now. And it's terrible, right? People are getting laid off. They're losing their jobs. Um, unemployment is horrific. And yet at the same time, um, the whole economy is based upon an idea that we are forever supposed to consume and to produce, right? And now the whole system's been shut down. And we have to admit, at least for some of us uh, who are participating in this economy of consumption and production, a better form of life can be lived apart from this, right? There's, mm -hmm. again, returning to the essentials, the basics, you know, working from home if we can, um, not going out to eat perpetually, uh, not going out all the time, not driving all the time, the importance of our local neighborhood, of our neighbors around us. These kind of essentials are potential fruits that I think we have to attend to and cultivate, right? Uh, not dismissing the misery that people are experiencing, the fear of death, the fear of sickness, but that these are fruits, you know, God works even in the darkness. And we as Christians have to look for the light, not just become addicted to the darkness. Mm -hmm. And this is a prime example of why I think the Church Life Journal is so fantastic, because it would be really easy to stake that opinion and just say, this is the best thing ever. Let's let's go towards that. Let's embrace it and go. And yet you didn't stop there because you talk about there is even in this return to locality, there is a danger of uh, of tribalism of saying, well, now it's my little community against that little community. Yeah. And, and so the church does call us to this balance of subsidiarity, this lo localism, but also to solidarity. We are still members of the human family. We still must be concerned with the common good, not only of our own community, but of the world, uh, as in, insofar as we have the ability to, as insofar as we have influence and our choices impact the world. Uh, and so, yes, there is this beauty in being called uh, toward the home to to not be as um, you know a, a, as active. There, we have some people who live close to us who uh, who are very active, and the kids are all in multiple sports, and they have multiple multiple kids, and 
it's it's an amazing thing when we actually see them at home because they are gone uh, so often in fulfilling what what people would say this is the rich life. Look what they have attained because they're now able to go and do all of these things. And they these are pursuits and enjoyments, but it also causes them quite a bit of stress because of all the places they have to go. And now they are forced to be at home and together and to eat meals together and to have something that that ne- hasn't necessarily been their experience that now they're being exposed to. And so there is benefit in this. Yeah, I think that's exactly right, right? And and your point about subsidiarity and solidarity being linked, right? Yes, your local matters. We live our life as human beings, as contingent beings. We live our lives in particular spaces, times, and neighborhoods. And yet as human beings, we share in common that we're all created in the image and likeness of God, right? And, and that is a is an identity that transcends my neighborhood, right? And so uh, the gift of Catholicism is we can actually live those out together, right? I can live this out concretely in my neighborhood, but with the rec- recognition that my neighborhood, my town, my country is not suddenly um, raised to an almost divine level above the rest of the world. And so that subsidiarity and solidarity is something we'll have to continue to to sort of take up. And the church calls it to us. It's going to be sacrifice, right? It means that we're going to we're going to live in our neighborhood. It means we might not get on a jet anytime soon. You know, some of the data I'm seeing is travel will basically stop maybe for the next uh, six to 12, 18 months as borders close. Um, But yet we still share a solidarity because we we're, the whole human condition shares this solidarity, and, th- and that is what's to be offered back to God, right? Through the liturgy, through the whole life of the, the the church, that is what we're called to. We're called to the to, to bringing together all of humankind into this sacrifice unto God. So local, universal localism. <laughs> we're coining that term just today. Universal localism. Why not? I'm sure someone else did it already. There's no thought that has ever occurred that someone hasn't already thought. We're talking today with Dr. Timothy O'Malley. Uh, I, I think of this uh, this verse in um, in the book of Philippians, and it's uh, Philippians four six. I'm going to get to the the right version here, uh, but it's be anxious for nothing. And I remember the day that I realized that this is in the imperative sense. This is a command, right? It's not a suggestion. It's not a hey, here's a good good way to live your life. Uh, Paul is saying quite clearly a, a command, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice, Lord, all men know your forbearance. The Lord is at hand. Have no anxiety about anything. Well, that, how do you do that? Well, he goes on to say, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. So when you find yourself being anxious, f- take that thing that is causing anxiety and take it in prayer with thanksgiving to God, knowing that the good God is watching out for us. He is taking care of our needs. Uh, so as we as we deal with this reality that we're facing, I want to circle back around to one of the first thing we talked about. Uh, what is it going to look like in your household to celebrate the, the Holy Week, uh, the, the Triduum and, um, and Easter Sunday? In a lot of ways, it's going to look exactly what it would have looked like otherwise. Uh, of course, you know, we'll be um, participating in some of the liturgies from afar. Um, 
will up our domestic practice, uh, likely, right? Uh, prayer, times of prayer, uh, times of fasting. Mm -hmm. We're going to celebrate Easter, right? Our Lord is risen from the dead. Death has been defeated in Christ. And Easter Sunday is Easter Sunday, no matter what. We'll miss our church. There'll be a bitterness that we won't actually be uh, present amongst the assembly to adore the living God who's risen from the dead. And yet we're going to do the things we've always done in our home. We'll pray. We'll celebrate the great vigil of the church in our house, um, not actually uh, likely through watching it, um, but actually through, through, through a kind of liturgy of the hours around the readings, to, to read through each of the readings, to sing psalms, and to spend about an hour and a half to two hours in prayer, likely when the children are in bed. Um, <laughs> they sleep through that mass anyway, right? <laughs> if they go, right, yeah. Our daughter would rebel against us if we took her to the vigil. Um, she's two. Uh, so, so, so all of this is going to happen no matter what, right? And so we're going to do this. This is what it means to live in hope. Uh, this, these practices sustain us and give us life. And we're not going to sort of, uh, move away from them because suddenly, uh, we're not going to be there on Sunday or Thursday. Uh, we'll, we'll be concrete with the practices and, and live them out in the way that we can do so and unite ourselves to the sufferings of Christians throughout the world who do not get to celebrate publicly the liturgy ever. And that, you know, right. that is, is what we'll do. We, we uh, we recently, my my wife was like, you know, the, I'm going to miss the vigil so much, uh, and I, I'm all of the all of the I want to make as much of that present in our home as possible. So she went online and bought those little candles that we all hold at at Easter vigil oh, nice. to be able to pass them out to everyone because she needed the candles. And so yeah, we're we're the the liturgy is anchored in the senses, and as much as we can do. Uh, to introduce those senses here and recreate them and participate in them uh, to the extent that we're able in, in terms of like, okay, well, here we are. We're going to read the Old Testament on the vigil, but we're going to do it with the lights off until we get to the Gloria. And then we're going to turn them up a little bit. And then at, at, the, uh, at the gospel proclamation, then we're going to turn the lights on. Uh, all of those things that we might think, oh, well, that doesn't matter. That's the stuff that really does matter and makes such a deep impression uh, on our children. And so as much as we can hang on to those things and, and keep them and capture them uh, as we continue to celebrate this liturgy, this beautiful gift that's been given to us in our homes. Yeah, that's right. That's well said. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. I appreciate your time. Oh, me too. Yeah. Be well. And of course, everyone who's listening, uh, you know, blessings during this quarantine. And um, of course, we're, we're all united together in the prayer each day. So blessings to you. There's more to my conversation with Dr. Timothy O'Malley, available to all of those who support the show through Patreon. We're going to take a look at his book, Divine Blessing, Liturgical Formation in the RCIA. And this is beneficial for all of us because a lot of times we get to thinking that everything we need to know about Catholicism can be gained through catechetics, right? We can learn it. We can, uh, we can apply ourselves and open a book and get there. But there is some other formation that we need, spiritual formation and liturgical formation. And it's good for us to be able to, uh, to take a look at what it is that that looks like. And there's really no better way to explore that than to, than to look at the ways that those who are first experiencing it, first coming into the church, 
would be formed by it to give us an idea of how we who have already received this might might grow in our own faith, might form ourselves in that way as well. Just go over to OutsideTheWalls.com. Up in the top right-hand corner of the page, you'll see a link that says support the show hyphen Patreon. And for as little as $5 a month, you can become a part of that support community that helps keep us on the air uh, and get a whole bunch of extra goodies while you're there. Uh, there's different levels of support, different tiers you can join or, or make your own. And within those, there are different rewards that I give in gratitude for that support. So please go take a look at that outsidethewalls.com. Click that Patreon link and see all of the extra segments, all the extra goodies that we have hiding out right over there for you. Let's go ahead and turn our attention now to our readings from Scripture and from church history. Our reading from Scripture, the one that seemed most appropriate was out of the responsorial Psalms. In my distress, I called upon the Lord, and he heard my voice. I love you, O Lord, my strength. O Lord, my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. In my distress, I called upon the Lord, and he heard my voice. My God, my rock of refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Praised be the Lord, I exclaim, and I am safe from my enemies. In my distress, I called upon the Lord, and he heard my voice. The breakers of death surged round about me. The destroying floods overwhelmed me. The cords of the netherworld enmeshed me. The snares of death overtook me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord, and he heard my voice. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. In my distress, I called upon the Lord, and he heard my voice. That comes from the responsorial psalm of the day, Psalm 18. Our reading from church history today comes from a homily by St. Gregory Nazianzen. We are soon going to share in the Passover, and although we still do so only in a symbolic way, the symbolism already has more clarity than it possessed in former times, because under the law, the Passover was, if I may dare say so, only a symbol of a symbol. Before long, however, when the Word drinks the new wine with us in the kingdom of his Father, we shall be keeping the Passover in a yet more perfect way and with deeper understanding. He will then reveal to us and make clear what he has so far only partially disclosed. For this wine, so familiar to us now, is eternally new. It is for us to learn what this drinking is, and for him to teach us. He has to communicate this knowledge to his disciples because teaching is food, even for the teacher. So let us take our part in the Passover, prescribed by the law, not in a literal way, but according to the teaching of the gospel, not in an imperfect way, but perfectly, not only for a time, but eternally. Let us regard as our home the heavenly Jerusalem, not the earthly one, the city glorified by angels, not the one laid waste by armies. 
We are not required to sacrifice young bulls or rams, beasts with horns and hooves that are more dead than alive and devoid of feeling. But instead, let us join the choirs of angels in offering God upon his heavenly altar of sacrifice. We must now pass through the first veil and approach the second, turning our eyes toward the Holy of Holies. I will say more. We must sacrifice ourselves to God each day and in everything we do, accepting all that happens to us for the sake of the Word, imitating His passion by our own sufferings, and honoring His blood by shedding our own. We must be ready to be crucified. If you are a Simon of Cyrene, Take up your cross and follow Christ. If you were crucified beside him, like one of the thieves, now, like the good thief, acknowledge your God. For your sake and because of your sin, Christ himself was regarded as a sinner. For his sake, therefore, you must cease to sin. Worship him who is hung on the cross because of you, even if you were hanging there yourself. Derive some benefit from the very shame. Purchase salvation with your death. Enter paradise with Jesus and discover how far you have fallen. Contemplate the glories there and leave the other scoffing thief to die outside in his blasphemy. If you are a Joseph of Arimathea, go to the one who ordered his crucifixion and ask for Christ's body. Make your own the expiation for the sins of the whole world. If you are a Nicodemus, like the man who worshipped God by night, bring spices and prepare Christ's body for burial. If you are one of the Marys, or Salome, or Joanna, weep in the early morning. Be the first to see the stone rolled back, and even the angels, perhaps, and Jesus himself. That reading comes from a homily by St. Gregory Nazianzen. And he gives us an interesting exercise. And I think that it's one that you and I ought to, as we, as we have a very different Holy Week to celebrate this year, I think that this is a beneficial exercise for us. As we read the readings that the church has assigned for the day, each day, we're going to get huge swaths, huge swaths of the Passion narrative. Uh, from two different Gospels. And if you want, you can even go and read the Passion Narratives in the other Gospels on the off days. But sit there and say, who am I in this story? Wh- who, what, what personality most fits me? What, where would I be if I were there on this very first Holy Week? And then pay attention. What is God calling each of them to do? And how does that translate to where we are today? How can you prepare spices for the burial of the Lord, like Nicodemus? What does that look like right now? Maybe it's something that you do in your home uh, as a fitting offering for him. What does it look like uh, to go to the tomb first thing in the morning and to witness the resurrection? How Are you, how am I, going to approach this Holy Week from a different set of circumstances, with the eyes of faith and not just the eyes that see the physical realities that are around us? Because, yes, those physical realities 
are reality, but they are no more a reality than the spiritual realities that are also coexisting in this moment. And so putting on the eyes of faith, saying, who am I in this story? Where can I find myself? What are the things that I can do to fittingly celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ? And there are things. God's going to call you to something. Perhaps it's something interior, uh, a, a spiritual formation, a forming of conscience, a, um, a sacrifice of praise, a sacrifice of something that you have held on to that God wants you to give up. Perhaps that's what it looks like. Perhaps it's external. Maybe you're able to get out of the house and God is calling you to do something on behalf of the other. But what I most want to say is don't trust your expectations. We have these expectations for for Holy Week that are now being subverted because we're not able to get together as, uh, in corporate worship the way that we're accustomed to. Uh, and yet we have a new set of expectations that also are not to be trusted because they are based on our experience, based on what's come before us, and Christ is doing a new thing. And so... I would encourage you to turn all of your attention, all of your expectations, and turn them over to Christ and say, okay, here we are. This is your week. This is, this is the week that we were to celebrate you corporately, and now I, I don't have the, the sense of that corporate worship, but you, you are beyond walls, right? You, you are not limited by what we physically are limited to. So, Jesus... I turn this week over to you, and I ask you, help me to celebrate well. Help me to actually celebrate the resurrection, and help me to have a sense of the resurrection, perhaps perhaps more profoundly than I have before because of the realities that we are currently in. Turn over those expectations and allow Christ, through his Holy Spirit, to give you new vision and new understanding of what Holy Week and Easter are all about. Because Easter is coming, and it will be a day of celebration, a day of rejoicing, even as it looks different than the way we have rejoiced in the past. One of the ways that we can turn over our expectations is by first thing in the morning and last thing at night, spending time in prayer. And I want to invite you to come and pray with me, and I really mean with me. Uh, You don't get to come specifically knock on my door and enter into my home, but I do invite you into my home to pray with me and then in the evenings also with my wife through the miracle of technology. Over on Facebook, on Facebook Live, facebook.com slash step outside the walls, I'm praying morning prayer at 6 a.m. Pacific, 8 a.m. Central, and Compline at 9 p.m. Pacific and 11 p.m. Central every day during this quarantine. And I want you to be a part of it. Come and join me there. Put your prayer intentions in the comments and let us pray together and offer to God our Holy Week. That's all the time we have for today. Today's show was brought to you by Anil Thomas and all of those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com. Click the Patreon link in the top right-hand corner and join their numbers to support the show. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord 
lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.